This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Oh, what a good goal! Far post for Shearer, goal! McLaughlin has it. Oh, deflection, and a goal! I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cadwell! Harry Doyle strikes again. And a brilliant goal from Harry McCurdy! be honest I've, I've talked to my fair share of former Swindon players managers current players and I'm feeling a little bit nervous for this one <laughs> there's, there's no need to be nervous I promise you no <laughs> there shouldn't be should there but I'm a big fan and and, and you know I'm not going to spend the whole time blowing smoke up your backside but um, there, there are reasons for that but we'll go into a bit more detail later so just so you know I like to hear a lot about your career but I fully respect that your career started in the 70s so and it goes all the way <laughs> to, to present day really so we'd be here for the rest of the year talking about it if I had my way so we'll, we'll keep it light and then loads of questions uh, for Swindon I'm sure many Swindon fans want to hear but to start to start things off Danny local lad to Wigan Started your career with them, but was that the team you supported? Um, well, I had two teams actually. One was in rugby, believe it or not, because I was born in Wigan. Um, so Wigan was my first love, really. And I, there was a, there was a, um, there was a rugby league team. <clears throat> I also just down the road from where I actually lived was um, a team called Oral, who were um, rugby union. So apart from football as well, you know, I think really. I would have gone 
a little bit further, I think, in the in the rugby league world, either it be rugby league or union, had I been a bit bigger. Um, I had pace and this, that and the other, but um, but obviously not the physicality that uh, that was required at that time. So um, I, I concentrated more on football and um, Liverpool was my team that I, I, I used to follow. Um, being about half an hour from where uh, my mum and dad lived in a little village called Billinge, just outside of Wigan. Um, so they were the team that I used to follow as a young lad. Everyone supported Liverpool in that era, though, didn't they? Come on. They did. Yeah, they did. I mean, they were a very good side at that time, obviously. <clears throat> it was very easy to support them, you know. And uh, But, but I, actually, like, we were in between Manchester and, and Liverpool, where we lived. So I could easily have gone to one of the Manchester teams and, uh, and supported them, but um, Liverpool were the one. Did you manage to, to see them live? Yes, many times. Yeah, oh. many times. Yeah, it's, um, not not you know not as much as I would like at the time. I mean, you know, at, uh, at my home where I was brought up, there wasn't a lot of money spare, you know, and uh, to go send your sons and mm. to football matches was was a lot of money. So uh, they were few and far between, but when they were uh, available, they were very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really think. Oh, well, why would I? But I didn't really think about like the fact that Wigan one of the few places in the country where it's rugby, rugby, rugby first, and then, and then football, isn't it? I mean, we have it to a degree with Bath down here, yeah. um, but Wigan, I mean, I used to love watching Wigan rugby league on grandstand in the nineties. They're on almost every blooming week <laughs> until Sky got their mitts on them. Yeah, they were. Yeah. It was, um, they were followed greatly. You know, there's lots of, uh, I mean, I still would suggest that they're still the, the, the biggest supported Sport in in the Wigan area, you know, they, they still get more more fans in in the ground than uh, the football team. You know, it's um it is inbred in 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 the folk in in Wigan. Yeah. So Plan B football. When when was it apparent? Because I guess when people look at your career, they see Wigan first and foremost, but they don't realise that Wigan are actually a non-league type side at that point, aren't they? The Northern League. Yes, yeah, Northern Premier League. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. So at what point did it become more apparent that you know? given your height or the size or however you want to say it, that football was was a realistic goal? Well, I still didn't know, um, you know, whether or not I was going to be able to play football. Obviously, it was it was, it was my love at the, at the time, as I said, you know, one of my, my two loves, the first one being the rugby league, as I said. Um, but really, you know, as, as time went on, I played, I started to play more and more football. Um, and then I went to Sunderland. I got taken to Sunderland's... Um, as a schoolboy, um, I went on their books uh, at that time. Ben Bob Stoker was the manager. And um, I used to go all the school holidays and that was taken up by going up there and training and, and playing games for them. Um, they had a, a, a team that was um, near Manchester area that was that represented the, the Sunderland Football Club. I used to play for them at the weekends as well when I wasn't at Sunderland. Um, and then Wigan, you know, Wigan just, you know, they, they had a look at me. Um, I was only... I think about 14 or 15 at that time, uh, when they asked me to come in and, and, um, and play. And, uh, and I did, um, which, was, which was great from that point of view. And, and it all seemed to take off from there, from the non-league days. And I think being so young, playing in the first team, attracted a, a bit of attention, obviously, from scouts. And, uh, and that's where it started off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my interpretation, really, of the Northern League back then, it essentially it had league clubs in there, but because of the way the, the, the pyramid was structured, they just, you had to get voted in, didn't they? 
they did it that time. Yes, they did. And um, there was a lot of times when, you know, uh, teams weren't voted out of the league, which happened to uh, to quite a lot of teams. One of the teams I used to play for, I uh, used to manage was, uh, was um, Hartlepool United. And they were perennial, you know, um, going into uh, votes at the end of the season to ask fellow chairman to put a vote down for them and a tick to hopefully stay in the league. And they didn't actually go out of the league. So that was, yeah, that was um, a time when you could get voted in or voted out. So it wasn't just on, on results-wise. So what do you remember about signing for a football league club? And, you know, what did it mean to your family at that point? Well, play for Wigan... Um, Obviously, like I say, it was a non-league club at the time, and um, and playing for them, it was I was getting paid. Mm-hmm. You know, I got I got a, a pound in a in a brown paper envelope every week. You know, one pound. I couldn't believe I was getting paid. I mean, we normally put our fifty pence in to to pay our dues when we we're going to play football, not the other way around. So, um, you know, to to actually get a, a, a wage, if you like, and, and saying a wage to through through uh, well, to be a better word, is um, it was it was amazing, really, but. I think the level of football that I was starting to play in and the pace of it and the men's football and obviously the physical side of it as well, obviously, was was what was going to help me in my long term. But unbeknownst to me at that time, that was, that was what I was going to do. But I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed playing with the lads. The lads welcomed me in very, very much, so, even though I was only like a young lad still at school. And of course, one of your early teammates, Swindon legend, Andy Rowland. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Andy Rowland, yeah, he's... Um, yeah, known him for many, many years. And it's, uh, yeah, looking back, it's, it's you know, I made some, some fantastic friends who are still, who are still, um, uh, still on, the, on the Christmas card list, so to speak. So it's, <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Was, was Bobby Smith, future town manager, you're, you're the guy who signed you? Bobby Smith at, um, at Berry, yeah. He, when I was at Berry, Bobby Smith signed me there from, uh, uh, from Wigan, believe it or not. And, um, I remember the day that he came to sign me. My, my dad used to used to work at the Brickworks, and um, after coming out of the Navy, you know, for thirty odd years, he went to work in a, in a brickyard. And um, one particular day, well, we, he would go to work about. He set off from home about four or five o'clock in the morning, um, and he'd do the morning shift, and then he'd come back about two o'clock in the afternoon, have a pint, have a game of dominoes with a, friend, a couple of friends of his, and then come home about three or four o'clock, and. Uh, you know, I remember Bobby asking me where your dad, would, where my dad would be at a certain time. I said, I don't know exactly where it would be. He'd be in Robin Hood pub. <laughs> and um, so we drove down there and, he, and my dad was playing uh, dominoes when when uh, Bob asked him if he would, uh, he would mind if, if, he, if he signed uh, professional formers with Berry. So my dad just lifted his, hand, his head from the, the dominoes and just said, yes, no problem at all. If he steps out of line, you've got my permission, give him a clip. So... Uh, <laughs> And that's how it was. That was what my dad was. He was uh, very, very supportive of everything that I did. Never stood in my way. Um, and I think he knew that, you know, I was working with my dad at, at the time as well. Um, and I think me, um, he knew that that was no future for me. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be an engineer at the time. Um, I didn't think about football. But, um, but I, I'm sure my dad knew that, you know, in, in the long term, he'd rather have let me have a, have a bash at football and fail than not have a bash at all. So he gave me his full blessing. Oh, what a guy, because it's quite stereotypical to hear of parents from that era refusing um, to let their children go into sports because it's not like a, an occupation that is realistic. So that's good to hear. Yeah, it was. It was and my mum was the same as well. Very, very supportive. Um, 
everything that's um, you know put in front of me, asked them to do. Uh, let me, they just said, yeah, they'll, they'll support me all the way, and uh, and hopefully that's the way we've been with with our children. You know, I've, I've learned a lot from my mum and dad in in those terms. Lovely. Well, in terms of learning football wise, you mentioned Bob Stokoe a moment ago, and he was to join you um, at Berry. Berry, isn't it? It's Berry. Yeah, um, yes. join you at Berry, and as somebody raised on historical FA Cup moments Stokoe running on the pitch for Sunderland in the 70s is a huge huge sort of thing that's wheeled out every year but probably less so now what was it like working for him? Well um, in, in the two occasions that I, I worked with him it's obviously that as a, as a schoolboy, um, not really have any coaching off him at all because obviously we just we used to um, have our own coach in the U team and then we go and watch the first team play at the weekends, etc. Or had to clean the boots and things like that of, uh, of the players um, that were in the first team. So we didn't really see a great deal. I didn't see a great deal of, it, of Bob Stoke at Sunderland, but, um, but certainly when it came to Bury, um, it was only for a short period of time that we um, that we crossed over. But um, yeah, when he when he came in, obviously he, he lived in the Bury area as well, and um, he had a, he had a, just a, a great charisma, you know, and, and as you can see in the. Like you say, those little clips that you see in the Sunderland days of, of playing at Wembley and winning the cup and um, and what have you against Leeds. Uh, he was brilliant, absolutely fantastic. And um, that was really my first taste of of uh, a very famous person as a manager. Sure. Now, this is the first of my cheeky questions, I suppose. Um, wondering if you can remember the 8th of December 1979. If I said Ray McHale, Alan Mays, Andy Rowland, Chris Kamara, Billy Tucker, would you remember? Um, I don't remember. They did. Was it the um, was it the FA Cup game? It wasn't the FA Cup game. Think high high score um, against Swindon. Oh crikey! Well, you, oh, is it eight nil? <laughs> yeah, it's just the eight nil. How many yeah, did you How many did you have in your career? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember eight nil. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things that happens in football. It's not too often, but you you tend to with, with seven sides you're on. You tend to put it. You, you tend to put it to one side really because you know it's uh, it's a, just a one off, and uh, and that's what we had to do at the time. Yeah, yeah. Very, you know, time, time heals wounds by the sounds of it. I've never heard anyone sound so like, yeah, well, it happens. So. Well, I mean, I've had it a few times. I've been in the I've been on receiving end, and I've, and I've also you know been on the, the side that's won seven. Myself, so it's um, but you do, you just get one of those days when everything falls for you. Um, you stick me back in the net, there's didn't seem to be a great deal you can do to stop it, you know. Um, at times it just seems like you're just helpless. Um, mm. so you just try and dust yourself down and get over it. And, and, and good teams and good players normally do, they, you know, they, they, they try and put it to the back of their minds and, and hopefully they, they can get a chance as quick as possible to, to rectify that result. And, um, and as a pro, that's what you've got to do. Yeah. Well, after Berry followed a successful stint at Chesterfield, um, where you know you did very well with them, didn't you? I mean, you, you were in the team of the year sort of a couple of times, and then that got you the sort of standout move to Nottingham Forest under Brian Clough. Doesn't work um, under him. I think doing my research, reading stuff from the time, or certainly stuff from when you were at Brighton that you were played out of position, but what an opportunity that was. These things happen, don't they? Well, of course, they do. yeah, you know, you know, not every, um, um, every signing, you know, makes an impact at times. I mean, I was going into 
you know, the Nottingham Forest squad who had just come off the back of winning the European Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, unbelievable. I mean, the, the position that was was um, I was hoping to play in um, uh, at the time in central midfield, obviously it was taken up by very experienced Ian Boyer, mm-hmm. who was a captain of the uh, of the club. You know, and trying to oust somebody of, the, of that uh, legendary status was going to be very difficult. Um, so I played a little bit on the right-hand side, a little bit, you know, right-winger stroke, tucked in a little bit, which I found very strange. I hadn't played there before. Um, but as I said before, I, because I had pace, I think, you know, people could try and move in certain positions and I'd be fairly comfortable with it. Um, but really get, getting into the first team, it was there were few and far between the, the opportunities. So I went out on loan um, uh, a couple of times. I went to Scunthorpe on loan at, at, for one stint and then down to Brighton. And, uh, and that's where, you know, um, uh, Chris Catlin, who was a manager then at, at Brighton, uh, wanted to make it permanent. And, uh, and, and Mr. Clough did that. He allowed me to go and allowed me to play football. But the lovely thing is about from years gone by and, and, and meeting with, with uh, the genius who was, you know, Brian Clough, I think that he said to me once that um, he, was, he was speaking to um, um, the former commentator, uh, Brian. Um, Brian Moore. Brian, sorry? Brian Moore. Uh, Brian Moore, sorry, yes, the, the commentator. He, they were very good friends. And Brian was on the board at um, Gillingham, I think, at the time, um, who had tried to sign me, but I didn't I didn't want to go down there. And um, and he said to he, he certainly said to me that, that Mr. Clough had said that it could have been the, the worst thing he'd do to let me go. He should have kept, kept me longer because I think I would have got on the team, which was a big boost from my confidence, although it didn't happen. But just to know that, you know, gave me a, re- a really good boost and, and really, football started to take off at Brighton for me. Oh, it sure did. And given when I start following football, see, for you, well, for me, you're Luton onwards. <laughs> but you have a terrific spell at Brighton, don't you? I mean, it really is. I think in later years, I kind of look at your career and I always expected you to manage Brighton at, at some point, given your <laughs> popularity down there. Did that ever Did that ever come close? It was close, yes, it was. Um, never, never really got followed through, but the, there was a question at one stage, yeah. Um, but it's, it never got beyond the boardroom. Um, <clears throat> so um, I think from that point of view, yeah, it was, it was, it was always nice, obviously, to, to represent in the managerial area you, the clubs you played for as well, uh, which I've done you know, numerous times in, uh, in my career, which, uh, which I've been very grateful for. But, um, yeah, there were, there were great stints at Brighton as well. You know, my two... My two um, Children were born there as well, which was absolutely fantastic. You know, so I've got a lot of great memories down there. Yeah, again, you're you're finding yourself in the teams of the season. This is the second tier. Um, it you know, it's at a time where you can't just say, "Hey, I'm one of the best in the league. I'm going to go back up to the to the first division." There's much more ownership, I guess, of player from the from the club side of things. But it sounds like you were perfectly happy just to see out your years for a long time at Brighton. Well, we were. I mean, I, I just signed um, a new four, uh, three-year contract um, about a week before um, leaving. Um, wow. and it was Alan Muller, he was the manager. And there have been a few, a few teams who come in and, and obviously trying to, to buy us. And I think Brighton at the time were... They weren't having a struggle at the time, really, and certainly financially, they, they were as well. There was plenty of the goals on the ground, the old Goldstone, and um, and that was costing money 
because it needed so much improvement. You know, he's costing money left, right, and centre, I believe. Um, and they just came to a situation where um, they looked at a, at a fee for me um, from a few clubs. Um, and uh, the first one was, was West Brom, and West Brom came in. Uh, Ron Saunders phoned me and he said, uh, Danny, do you fancy coming to, to West Brom? I said, well, you know, I've, I've just got a new contract on the table. You know, I've only got to sign it. He says, oh, and he must have thought I was bluffing him and uh, to get more money or whatever. And uh, so I said, he said, oh, well, go, go and sign it then if you want to do that. Go and sign it. So I did. So the next day I went back to the club and I said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll agree to sign a new contract with you, which I did. Um, Alan Muller was, was very, very paramount in that. He said, you know, if you're under contract down, we've, we've, we've got a chance of getting more money for you. Being on a longer contract. So that in itself was, was enough for me um, because it'd be very good to me. And then the day after I signed, I got a phone call again from Ron Saunders saying, what are you doing? I said, I've just seen you've signed a new contract. I said, I told you I was doing it. They said, bleed nearly. I said, I thought we were taking a piss. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, that's what I, I that. And then a week later, a couple of clubs came in again, um, and Luton being one of them. Um, I'd seen the, the team on paper um, and seen the, the, the internationals that were there, like so Ricky Hill and Steve Foster from Brighton, which I knew, obviously. Um, some very, very good players, and uh, I ended up going to signing for them. Insert generic question about plastic pitch here. Yeah. How was that? Um, a lot of people thought it was um, an advantage for us, um, obviously playing every other week in that. Um, what it did, it, it, it helped us on a, individually and, and technically. It, it was a big help for us. We had very technical players there, and, and, and the pitch itself, you had to get the right pace of the ball. You had to perfectly time your, your passes. Uh, and your touch had to be spot on. Otherwise, it just came away from you. So that in itself helped us to progress as, a, as, a, as an individual, as a team together. But bearing in mind, we had to play away from home every other week as well, you know, and uh, to, to split from grass, you know, to plastic, to, gra to grass, to plastic, you know, was, wasn't easy, you know, and uh, some of the pitches that we used to play on, you know, away from home at times in the winter times were, were just quagmires. So, um, you know, we, we had a... We had a little bit of an advantage, I, think, I would suggest, at home, but we also said it had a disadvantage, you know, the way they were taking we, we We had to try and convert to playing away from home at times. Yeah, there is definitely that lack of consistency there, isn't there? And even with that in mind, Luton, the season you sign and the couple of seasons before, they're top 10 in the first division, aren't they? You know, they, they do a terrific job at combating that. Yeah, we were, they were a good side. You know, like I say, when, you, when you've got the... Um, you know, the likes of, of the Steam brothers as well as Ricky Hill and them people who play for England, Mick Harford, uh, Fozzie playing for England, you know. So, you know, we had we had Maldonado, who's an Irish international, um, playing as well. So we had we had quite a lot of experience in, in the squad at that time and, and they held the whole their own really well in in the uh, in the first division or the premiership, whichever you call it. Um against all the odds really, you know, we Crowds about seven, eight thousand. I would say, suggest something like that. It was unbelievable. It didn't really to to stay in that division for so long. Yeah, and the rest. I mean, you play Swindon in the Simmer Cup semi final in '88, and we get you to extra time. Dave Bamber um, is free on goal in that, and somebody in the crowd whistles, and he thinks it's the referee, and he just sort of stops. 
But he was onside, Danny. He was onside, and then Mark Steen did what Mark Steen did back then and scored the winner. Um, Steen Brothers scored that day, yeah. Um, I mean, this is where really I, my memories of you really do kick in because something that you've got in common with Swindon is that you've really annoyed Arsenal fans at Wembley, which is, (laughs) I mean, I've got no beef with Arsenal, but I I like that fact. you you score the equalising goal in front of ninety five thousand people in in Wembley. C- considering your 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 backstory there, wow, wow, quite a moment. It was yeah, it was, I mean, it was a defining moment for the football club as well. You know, I think we we meet we we managed to get to quite a few finals in the in the two or three years I was there, um, and the FA Cup final as well. The season after when uh, we were beaten by Arsenal. Over two two games, drawing the first one, the replay were beaten one 0 So um, I think in that respect, yeah, the, the, it was fantastic. You know, we we um, we really I, I don't know what you can say. I think we we just went to get all, all the odds really because we kept getting to these these big showpieces in um, at Wembley and uh, and always the underdog. You know, never never fancied by anybody. Um, you know, we all people say I'm lucky to get there. That's fair comment. I think everybody needs a bit of luck to get to Wembley, but. You know, because of who we were, who we were, and then we were put up against, you know, big teams, Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, etc. In 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 um, so, sorry, um, uh, Nottingham Forest. Um, I think that uh, it was it was a it was a really 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 big um, thing for the dressing room because it, it it really bonded us all. You know, we we had a we had a great relationship in there, great great butcher friends who, who used to go out and, and have a drink together as well. And uh, and it and it showed, you know. And um, like I said before, you have to have some sort of talent in there, and and uh, we had it in abundance. With uh, but un- but underestimated, really. Yeah, it, it sometimes just that affinity you have with each other goes a long way, doesn't it? And yeah, you know, given the drama of that game too, like you're winning for so long, and then Arsenal go and score quick goals to go ahead. And you kind of, you know, what the narrative normally is, well, you know, plucky Luton, they gave it a good go. Yeah. And then you do your thing and then steam right at the end. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, you know, those, the League Cup for me, and I, I guess I'm saying that as somebody who supports a, a lower league team that's won it, I think up until maybe the turn of the century, the League Cup definitely had a lot more kudos to it than it does now. It might even be a bit more recent. But I remember when like Spurs and Leicester were winning it in the late nineties, it was still seen as a as a big day in the yeah. football calendar. Not so much now, but definitely for me growing up, that Luton win against Arsenal is one of those early, early memories that I have. And well, you contributed to that. And that's why I'm nervous talking to you yeah. <laughs> for this one. Yeah. But you thought um, it was it was a big cup and um made no bones about that. You know, I think everybody growing up as as young boys, you know, is would dream to go play at Wembley, whether it be FA Cup or the League Cup. You know, it was the same type of thing um, <clears throat> in that respect. And when you can get 90 or 1,000 people turning up for a game, there's something special about it, obviously. You know, and, and that's what that's what, um, that's what we did. You know, and um, not just at that, Luton as well. I mean, you, you talk about the bond. We've had, we've had um, relegation fights as well, you know, staying up on the last day. Yeah. You know, and, um, and things like that. So, you know, that... That, that that camaraderie was was at both ends of the table, really. You know, it's, it helped us really in, in our survival for 
for um, the, the uh, League One at that time. So um, yeah, it was it was all the way around. It was it was a very very um, important part of my career. Sheffield Wednesday was next for you. Ron Atkinson probably signed you. I would have thought. What do you remember from for signing for Ron? Um, lots of things, if I'm honest. Ron was a was a was a, was a brilliant uh, man manager. There's no doubt about it. You made you feel ten foot tall. And at the time, Ron was. Uh, I think I was the oldest player he'd ever signed uh, for money, and um, he kept on telling me that as well. But, uh, <laughs> but he, he was he was great with me. He was, you know, he'd, he'd always. Um, pat you on the back. He'd always give you a big lift, and he'd tell everybody around him what a good player you were. And you just, you just, you just wanted to play for him, no doubt about it. And you know, he, he was flamboyant, as everybody knows. Not as much as a lot of people make out to be at times, but he loved his football and he loved teams to entertain. And um, hence, you know, you see some of the players that he brought into the club at, at, over the period while he was there. And uh, some terrific players, as as you well know, your Christian Waddles of this world and. Uh, and what have you? So, uh, Trevor Francis, obviously, and you know, we, we, to learn from those boys was was absolutely magnificent. Um, but Ron, again, again himself, he just wanted to go and play a good football, touchy football, but put the fans on the edge of the seats at times. That's what he just told you to do, and um, and we and we tried to do it, and, and in some cases, it worked out that way. Yeah, the fact that I think. He took you up from the old second division into the old first division and turned you instantly into a top five team. Just, yeah. just incredible, really, isn't it? And it's it's there where you win the, the League Cup again. And, you know, I've got very faint memories of Lou, and it might even just be like the annuals that I had and the, the pictures from that game. But Manchester United nil, Sheffield Wednesday one is a game I very much remember. And, like, I guess... If you didn't support Manchester United in the 90s, even at that early stage, seeing them lose in these big occasions was almost, was almost um, quite the thing. It was something that we all wanted as kids when, you know, you wanted Liverpool to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wanted Manchester United to lose because they always win stuff. But Manchester United hadn't even kicked on at this point, but they will, you know, still get into like Cup Winners' Cup and FA Cups and things like that. And of course... Going into a Swindon link here, Phil King is your teammate um, at Sheffield Wednesday. Yes. And yeah. A good friend as well. And, and, and what a great lad. What a, what a fantastic, <laughs> uh, funny, uh, buoyant, and a very good footballer as well. Uh, I, I think that's the key, isn't it? That he was very, very good. Oh, he was. He had a great, yeah. He had a fantastic understanding with, a, with another player called Nigel Worthington in Northern Ireland International. Yeah, and uh, between the two of them on that left hand side, one could play in front of one another. It didn't matter which positions they had, um, but the the understanding was absolutely magnificent. We had so many goals came from those areas, uh, and Kingy was was prime at that. You know, he, that that left foot, the wonder of a left foot, was fantastic. It was better going forward and quicker going forward than it was defending. I know that. He <laughs> oh. couldn't get back too often, but he didn't need to because he had Nigel, who was the left back there. He just, you know, between them, they just they just contributed. So much to the team, but they really did uh, complement each other. Yeah, they sure did. And uh, yeah, I remember him coming back to Swindon a few years later and, well, shadow of his former self from from (laughs) the years before. But that Sheffield Wednesday squad full of, you know, players that I really liked back then. You know, John Harks, the unusual sort of factor that there's American international in there. Um, Of course, Peter Shirtliff, Roland Nilsson. Um, and, our, and our good pal, John Sheridan, who's not had a great, who didn't have a great time at Swindon, to say the least. Um, 
I'm probably putting that in kind terms, but a great footballer. Oh, what a player! What a what a yeah. pass on the ball. He, I mean, he was he was an a striker's dream if you played in the same team as him. He could put it on sixpence for you, uh, and that's what we used to do. I mean, we had myself and Kelton Palmer in midfield, and John at times, whichever way we were playing. Um, and basically, we get the ball for him and give it to John, you know, and and then he would just create something out of nothing. He was he was fantastic passer of the ball, um, and a, and a great character as well. You know, he's um, he used to call us all Chris Packets because we just used run around the pitch like a Chris Packet blowing in the wind. <laughs> just get the ball to me, you Chris Packet. <laughs> and we did because we respected him so much. You know, he we want to give the best players the ball. You know, and uh, and that's what we did. Yeah, the fact that his tenure as Swindon manager went so badly really sort of it doesn't it doesn't make any difference to how much I admired him as a footballer, but it, it yeah. tainted it a wee bit, you know. It, it was just it just didn't work out. What can you do? These things happen, don't they? It does, it does happen. And um, you know, it wouldn't have been from like a trying from you know the, the the coach's position, you know, there's things that you contribute contribute, you know, and uh I was sorry for Shez as well, you know, making it because I say he's, he's a good friend of mine, and um, and and obviously with my connections with Swindon as well, you know. So mm. it, uh, as we go along, I wanted him to do well, but unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. Which of the League Cup wins means the most? Is it the Luton one or the Sheffield Wednesday one, or is that just the stupidest question you can ask because they're both just as enjoyable? Well, yeah, the, yeah, very much so. But I think you know, two t- the Luton and the Sheffield Wednesday. You know, teams were were different in one respect because at Luton we weren't expected to do anything. Although we had good players in there, Sheffield Wednesday when we got promotion straight back into the first division again um, after the relegation the year before I went. Um, I think that and the way that he put teams together were expected to do or, or expected to be a lot better than a first a second division team, which was what they were. And then to go into and beat Man United at that at that time. Was was it was incredible, but I think Luton really because I think we will get all the odds there. We, we never we were never expected to get to the finals, which was about three of them I think, um, in different ones, and 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 come away with with a win in you know in in uh, in one of the big competitions. So this, Luton slightly slightly because of the circumstances is the better result for us uh, for me. Yeah, another two huge finals um, followed a couple of years later unsuccessful this time both Arsenal again huge moments in my life you missed the FA Cup final first game I think but I missed the replay because I was moving with my family from Catrick down back down to Wiltshire because my stepdad was in the armed forces so I've always vivid I think it's the only FA Cup final I've missed since that time (laughs) it's just the replay um (laughs) but you went toe-to-toe with them and it was I remember just being enthralled and then the League Cup final was so weird because what happened to Steve Morrow after but you just it was just so close every one of those games but my main memory of that whole run and put the finals to the side it was the semi-final of the FA Cup Wembley against Sheffield United more of those we need to see more of those sort of fixtures (laughs) because that that, I mean I couldn't even imagine what that would have been like well they they reckon in Sheffield that weekend there was a lot of burglars in houses (laughs) so um yeah it was it was it was incredible you know a full house then uh, the whole of Sheffield in the atmosphere was the best I've ever played in I mean it was absolutely Bang in the, the stadium, yeah. um, hairs on your neck. It, it was very much the, the real, the real scenario. 
and it was a great game. I mean, we played very well on the day. I don't think um, I don't think Sheffield United, even the hardest supporters, hardened supporters, will 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 argue really that they we just absolutely tore, tore them apart. We could have won the game about five or six, really. Although it looked really close at the end, but it wasn't. <laughs> well, you know, um, I don't remember that much. Yeah, well, to at the risk of sounding like a blooming cliche here, it was just both in your home kit, which is always a good thing. I'll complain about that with Swindon at Wembley a bit later. Um, and also Alan Cork of Sheffield United, who looked like a 50-year-old maths teacher. Corky yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, got a, um, a bet on Monday that he, he wouldn't have a shave and, until they were knocked out of the cup. Oh, <laughs> and uh, so he looked like he did look, look like an old man, you're right, but uh, he shaved it straight after the game. Um, so I remember that, but uh, Corky scored as well. He did, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah he did. Our point of view, yeah, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great day, yeah, great. And, and like you say, times like that, if you could get those types of fixes at Wembley, um, you'll never forget them for the rest of your life, yeah. Before we get to Barnsley, I just I, I want to go a little bit with Northern Ireland. And it's really a question that was given to me about 10, 12 years ago um, by my old university lecturer, Dr. Simon Topping, a proud Northern Irishman. And it must've been around the time you were appointed Swindon manager, actually, because I said to uh, Simon, who had a picture of David Healy scoring against England on his office wall, you know, you, you couldn't enter the room without seeing this picture. I said, oh, Danny Wilson's been appointed Swindon manager. And he and his reply was very quick, was, well, if you ever speak to him, ask him why he always got injured every time internationals came up. Is this true, Danny Wilson? It is not true. <laughs> no, not at all. The, uh, the, the fact, I think my last game um, for Northern Ireland, I think I would have been about 30, 32, maybe. 31, I'm not too sure exactly about that. And uh, and for me, very, very rarely did I get injured. I didn't, I didn't. I only missed games. Now, I've been pulled out before by managers and pulled away from squads, um, but never never said because I'm injured. Not that at all. And I've been left out of a squad as well. So that's that's probably uh, more likely to be the, the reason. Um, but... Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember pulling out personally from uh, from any games because I, I didn't very rarely got injured. Yeah. How did you find international football? Did you enjoy it? I did. It was tough, very tough. Another level again, as you can imagine. You know, when uh, you're playing, you're playing against lads you see every week, and you understand. You can get to to know the the, the game play, but when you're going to see boys, you know, and, and bearing in mind there's no there's no Sky TV like there is nowadays. You can watch intensely, you know, your opposition. We, we didn't know who we were playing against. And when you go into Romania and you go into wherever it may be, and you, you realise the talent that some of these lads have and, you know, the, the, the gifted talent as well. And the physicality as well that comes with it, you know. And you think, oh, this will be... I remember my first game being Turkey and I uh, went to Turkey in, um, uh, in Istanbul. And we ended up with a nil-nil draw, actually, but one of the toughest games I've ever played in. And they kicked us all over the place, as well as being able to play football as well. So it was a big lesson, and, a, and, a, and we had to make sure that we we upped our game from the Premiership or Premiership, sorry, League One, to uh, to international levels, um, because there was a, a big, big gap in there in that as well. Austin going in. Well, it was coming in 
the first half. It's arrived six minutes into the second. A glorious scoring header from Charlie Austin. Okay, well, let's get to Barnsley. So, Barnsley, you're straightaway player coach, aren't you, for, for Viv Anderson, um, yeah. your teammate with Sheffield Wednesday, of course. Um, you go over there, well, you're in your mid-30s at this point, aren't you? And Viv Anderson, it, it doesn't go too well, I remember, but he gets a sweet little gig as assistant manager up at Middlesbrough with Brian Robson, doesn't he? And yeah. You become the manager now. How how did that happen? Because I mean, you you're a popular player to the Barnsley fans. I mean, I think during your time as player manager, you win Player of the Year, which is insane. If that's true, that's right, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. So so that's incredible. And back then, the the notion of the player manager is super common um, for Swindon. I would say off the top of my head, four of our five managers in the 90s are player managers at some point. Ozzy Ardiles, although he stops playing in 89, is a player manager. Glenn Hoddle, of course. Yeah. Um, Steve McMahon, Jimmy Quinn. Yeah. Um, your teammate, of course. And um, it's, it, it's, not, it's not in anymore, is it? So there's a lot of statements there without any questions. So was management always on your radar was this something that you just fell into um I was always told I was always told even even back in my Luton days that I would be a manager uh, I don't know why people would said that I'll see the reason why um never really asked a question but um by the time I got to I mean Sheffield Wednesday offered me another contract to stay there before I went to Barnsley with Viv um uh, Viv, Viv being you know one of my best mates and, and has been for many many years still is um, and he just said, I've been offered the chance to go, you know, would you come as my assistant? And uh, Trevor Francis was a manager at Sheffield Wednesday, so I just I said to him, there, Trevor, I think I'm going to give it a go, you know, and he says, well, that's fine. And I said, you know, I can't play in, in your first team forever. You know, it could be next year, you might find somebody better and, and I'll be playing part-time, um, part-time you know, in, in the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he let me go. And um, But there was always, um, there was always a, an understanding that, should Brian Robson ever get um, a job anywhere, that he'd like to take a bid with him. And Viv had said yes be- well before he went to Barnsley. So I knew that was always on the horizon. Um, and when he came around, he, he did, you know. And um, and I think at the time, we, we were just getting ourselves, well, getting, you know, a settled team, if you like. It was it was hard time at Barnsley at the time, in, in all clubs, really, because they had the Taylor report that had come through. And, you know, I think we were getting 3,000 in the gates, you know, because there was no standing, it's only sitting down. And uh, it was very tough, and very tough for the club as well. And, um, and I think from uh, from that point of view, we were just got a, a team settled down. And and I said to John Dennis was the was the was the chairman at the time and the owner, who was a massive influence on on my uh, managerial career. Um, and he just said, you know, let's try and catch some consistency down. Would you would you would you like to be in charge? And I said, yeah, no, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll see I can. But I was still playing as well. And uh, after that first, and I got the player of the year, uh, I, I took it on myself to to just put my boots up because it was just too much work. You know, you were you were not only trying to keep yourself fit and playing the team um, without watching um, uh, teams and clubs every night, basically, or, or, or players. Um, we're doing the training as well, um, traveling up and down the country. We just they, they just got too much, and uh, and I just 
on myself. I was as fit as anything. I was I was perhaps as fit as whatever I'd been in, in my career. But I just knew it was right. It was right to just, you know, call it a day and concentrate on the management. Do you think it's possible in the modern game for player managers to exist? It, it seems like a tough ask now. Yeah, no, it's, it's too... It's, I mean, I think every, there's lots of people who will try it, but it, it only comes... Yeah. It, it, it comes a time when you just said enough's enough, you know. And, it, and it's not just that your family life suffers, you know, you're never at home. Uh, even being a manager is the same, you know, 24-7, you're, 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 a, you're, a, you're on a phone or, or people are wanting a little bit of you for whatever reason. And uh, and it becomes, you know, it becomes very difficult. And it's certainly, if you've, if you've got a very, very strong wife like I have with Karen, she's fantastic. She she really understands it. You know, if it, without, without Karen, I would never have gone and done what I've done. But um, but you need a, a, a massive amount of patience and, and understanding from your family, that's for sure. Oh, without a doubt. I don't doubt that at all. But when you won Player of the Year as manager, did you like lift it, <laughs> hold it aloft and just tell your squad, why am I winning this? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yes. It was, I mean, the, the, the lads I was playing with were great as well. You know, don't get me wrong. They were, they were, they were a great bunch of boys. Um, but it needed... The, the the squad itself needed it needed brightening up. You know, the few have been there a bit too long and and you know, I would say they were bad players, they weren't bad players at all, but they'd just been at the club for a long time and stuck in the same position and it just needed a fresh a fresh impetus of of younger players if we could get them and and uh, enthusiasm in the club and, and just try and change the dynamic of what had been happening before where, you know, the there was always in relegation areas and fighting relegation and the fans who keep turning up, but didn't expect much really. You know, we wanted to to change that mindset around, and uh, I think that was the start of it. How did you get Barnsley into the Premier League? Look, yeah, <laughs> we uh, listen. Yeah, we well, we had a we had a team of waves and straights. You know, about on the season that we won it, we, had, we got free transfers from left, right, and centre. We, we we were calling on favours for from other managers in the Premier League at the time, and could you borrow us a few young lads? You know, Ashley played people who was around. Bobby Robson gave us a a nod on a on a young lad who was playing in in uh, uh, Portugal at the time. Uh, Bobby was at Lisbon, um, and uh, he told us about this this young lad who was playing over there. I said, "In just just have a little go at him and see if you can get him." And uh, and we did, and we went in, and uh, he came back. He ended up scoring the winning goal. Well, we turned out to be the second goal against Bradford when we went to Wembley, and um, and and from that. Time on Clint Marcel was a boy's name was mm. was a legend at, at um, Barnsley, but he came from as a free transfer. But you know he, he did he did great for us. So altogether, we you know he was it fell into place quite nicely for the season. But you know if you look at the players individually, they they looked like they would just been brought from every corner of, of, of every country, you know, just thrown together. But they were they worked their tails off for each other. They were they were brilliant. Yeah, the the, the Premier League season obviously goes the way. A story like that would always Swindon experience exactly the same. You know, had a magnificent moment, and then the realities of the difference between plucky Championship level side and the Premier League isn't for fairy tales. Sometimes, is it? It's it's quite a daunting experience. And I think my main memories of um, of Barnsley that year was just the wave of overseas players because that's what was happening at the time. Yeah. Um, and some pretty decent ones come in for you guys. And, you know, and also, of course, Yanagafiotoft 
uh, yep. was one of your boys, wasn't he? He was, yeah. I think I think from that point of view, you've got to you know understand as well. We had a lot of foreign players because we couldn't afford the English boys or the British boys. Yeah, you know, we just couldn't afford them. You know, the the, the prices in Premiership, uh, what they were paying at that time, was was amazing. I remember um, Manchester United buying um, a boy from Blackburn, a fullback. Um, what was his name now? Uh, played for Manchester United in, for quite, quite a long time. And um, I think they paid £5 million for him. We hadn't got paid £5 million for our team. Mm. You know, and it was, it was, that was a difference. You know, we, we, we had to go on the, uh, as it was a talk, and it, you know, to, to the corner shop for our players. You know, and, um, but we had, to, we had to get players in at some stage because we didn't have enough players in there. And, and so we tried to get ones that had a bit of experience that we, that we thought might be able to, you know, hold their own. Uh, in the Premier League, and that was it. It was a, it was a fingers crossed at times, you know, and tours and everything crossed, you know, just to hope that the, uh, you know, they could they could come to the, uh, to the pace of the Premier League. Yeah, and and plenty of characters from that season. I think it was Histroff that has the famous quote about his time at Barnsley with the nightlife, doesn't he? I don't know if you know yeah. that. George Ristoff, yeah, he was uh, <laughs> from uh, Macedonia, I think it was. Um, and Georgie, I think George let him down himself down before he even kicked a ball really with the fans. Although they did warm to him a little bit later on because he could play, but he was only a very young boy. And uh, but he said that the the women in Barnes are not are, not, uh, are ugly and or something mm. to that effect and nothing like the girls he come from. So I think it upset a lot of people before he even started. So I thought that's the last thing I need. Then he said something like that in the press. Uh, <laughs> so he, yeah. he had a bit of a hard time early on, but he he, got, he found his feet a bit later. Yeah, and, the, and then the other player, really, other than Jan, of course, Swindon hero, was the goalkeeper Lars Liso, because I remember his book, I read it many, many years ago, and another wonderful story, really, from like German non-league to the Premier League in a matter of years. Yes, he was. I mean, he was uh, fantastic. I mean, from, from that point of view, he was, he was a bit complicated um, individual, really. He, was, uh, he did very, very well, but it was very difficult to understand him. I don't mean I don't mean um, by his accent or his or his um, his English. Um, it was just a very difficult person to to get to know, and you know he, he left himself a little bit stranded in terms of um, being a little bit aloof at times mm-hmm. um, with the lads. But um, but when he came in, he did he did great. I mean, he was a really really big big lad in fairness, lads. He was, and then as as time went on, he started to relax a bit more. And, and he joined in with the group again. He was great. But um, it wasn't a bad lot at all. Yeah. No. Sheffield Wednesday appoint you. And obviously it's you going back. And, you know, ultimately it doesn't work out. But how difficult was that going back from being a popular player to, you know, the person tasked with trying to keep them in the Premier League? It wasn't a difficult decision. I think at the time at Barnsley as well, obviously we'd been relegated back to League One um, out of the Premiership. Um, so it, it, for Sheffield Wednesday to come in, the only team I would have gone at that time to was Sheffield Wednesday because of my past with them and, and my history with them. And uh, uh, Ron Atkinson, you know, who'd been there, I phoned Ron up and, and Ron said, you know, you, you can't turn it down, Dan. You know, the fans know you and understands you this that and the other you know a lot of people in the club as well you've got to give it a shot you'll regret it if you don't so I did and uh, and it started okay the first the first season you know we did okay um, but then there's lots of things happened throughout the uh, 
the, the, the second season um, where MPs get involved in lots of things and having to sell players left, right and centre. Mm. You know, we had uh, the famous um, De Canio incident, as you, as you know about Paolo when he was your manager. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was lots of things to, to cope with there and it, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. And I'm very disappointed in the support I got from, from upstairs at that time because I think there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, back bashing up there as well. Like, you know, that people were getting on in the boardroom as well. So it made it all very much more difficult. And especially given the incredible relationship you had with the Barnsley owner too, where, you know, one of my questions was going to be like, who, who are your influences in management? And I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, an owner. Yeah. Well, he was, I mean, I mean, John, John Dennis was, um, was a, was a real down to earth human being, but very intelligent, very intellectual uh, person as well. But he, he, he was very honest, you know, he, he you know, he, he called whatever it was, what it was. He didn't, he didn't, beat around the bush or anything. And he'd tell you to your face, not in a, not in a rude manner, you know, but um, he'd just tell you the, the realities of life in football, you know, and, yeah. uh, and he helped me understand a hell of a lot of, of things that were going on upstairs, um, how, to, how to deal with things, with contracts, et cetera, et cetera. And he was uh, very supportive, you know, and that was that was brilliant from my point of view. That's all I needed. In in relation to the the famous, infamous De Canio moment with the referee, Paul Walcock, how do you manage that? The fallout to that because that's not that's not what you sign up for, but inevitably it's what you have to deal with. What was that like? It was very it was very stressful. It was there's no doubt about it. Bear yeah. in mind that Paolo was was a was a, a big favourite of the fans. Um, it'd been he got he went back to Italy that night straight away after the game. Um, the problem was we couldn't get him back. He didn't want to, he didn't want to play for us. Yeah. Uh, but but nobody knew that you know only the people upstairs. The board wanted to sell him, get rid of him. Um, it's one thing about wanting to do it and, and getting the, the money that you want for him. And uh, one or two clubs played the, the the card where, you know, well, if he's worth that, he's not coming back. He's not worth that, is he? Well, so they made really, really silly bids for him. Um, and he was worth about, I thought I would suggest that Parlour would be worth about £6 million at that time, £5, £6 million easily. And um, West Ham got it for a million and a half. It was an absolute steal. And uh, but they knew what they were doing, you know. They 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 been in touch with whoever and the agents and, and what have you. And he just said he's not going back to Sheffield Wednesday. And there's nothing we could do about it. Um, only only transfer him. But the sad thing was is that the owner of uh, the, the chairman then at the time, Dave Richards, had promised us that he wasn't coming back to the Premier League. That he got a word from all the chairmen in the Premier League that they weren't going to touch him. Mm. Um, so to him from to come back and go to West Ham and still. And then have a, a you know a part of his career in that, like he did there, was very disappointing from our point of view. So there's lots of things that were happening at the time at Wednesday that um, that contributed to to me leaving. Yeah, well, your your time without a club doesn't last that long, does it? I mean, Mrs. Pullen doesn't usually go, oh, really, uh, when it comes to me saying who my guests are. But she's a Bristol City fan and she was going regularly um, during your time as manager. Um, four years with them and loads of players that would go on to play for Swindon with you at Bristol City. I don't really have the time, not because they're a rival. We don't have enough time to uh, yeah, talk yeah. about Bristol City too much. But something that's always fascinated me really about the Lansdowne era and you know I'm married to a Bristolian family I live in Bristol um is that the Lansdowne era 
they seem to have everything in place behind the scenes. They seem to keep on doing the right things. I mean, we'll, we'll ignore like the financial side of um, of the game these days, but they've they've always. I mean, look what they've done to Bristol City now with their stadium and and facilities and what their vision is. But they never quite get it right on the pitch. And you know, your your time as manager of Bristol City is the nearly men of promotion, aren't aren't you? And yeah. and you had you had the players. I could never understand why it never happened for you. I mean, I was delighted. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but but it was always like you were always the favourites to go up. And I guess that comes with its own pressure. Well, it does, but I think you know you've got to look look back and and, and you said the Lansdowne era. I mean, when when. Um... Mr. Lanzan took over. There wasn't the, the amount of finance um, available to me, you know, for the playing side of it. That's, I mean, that's over, over the recent years, that's been prevalent, hasn't it, for managers and support that he's given to managers has been absolutely spot on. And it was at times like that, you know, when, when January comes or something like that, you want that talisman to come in, you want you'll be able to buy somebody and get somebody in, but we didn't have those finances then. So we had to just get on with it and get on with what we got. You know, and you, you you can you can feel it and you can see it at times when you're management and you know that players are getting tired and they're playing too many games and you're sticking with the same team week in, week out, just because it's your best team, you know, and uh, and not being able to change it and able to be able to rotate certain areas, you know, is a, is a, is a big ask for players, at, at, um, particularly if you're going to try and be pushing for promotion as well. Um, so that, that in itself, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, from at my time though, after that, you know, that, other people will give you the reasons why it's um, why it's never worked out on the pitch. But certainly when when I was there, you know, the uh, we'd had I think we'd had four different chairmen when I was there, something like that. And then uh, Steve came the last been the last one. So um, and we and we just got to the player finals as well when uh, out of the blue and then and then got the sack. Yeah, yeah. I you did my head in back then, Danny. I mean, I think. <laughs> I think have we played with we played against you every season. I think during that era, and I think Swindon only won one, and that was the first. Kept on, you know, even when we were in form, we would play you guys and we would lose. I think, I mean, I think the main moment for us is the final one, really, other than the victory, and that's Roy Fallon's equaliser in the tail end of that playoff season, where you guys losing the final to Brighton and we losing the semis. Yeah, um, and Lee Miller, of course, misses an absolute sitter with the last kick of the game and oh, that was a great great season I mean from yeah. from Swindon side of things it was it was a missed opportunity and I went to that Brighton final with my now wife and it was from a, from a neutral side of things it was really really not the greatest game in the world <laughs> and I felt a great injustice with what happened with Swindon because I thought we were gonna we would have wiped the floor with you <laughs> with Mooney and Parkin but it wasn't to be but yeah it, it, that that was I remember when you left and Tinian took over and, you know, you don't have to go into great detail, but it seems sneaky at the time. Um, it, it didn't, yes, it didn't, um, mm. it didn't give me an, an enormous amount of um, uh, faith in football at the time, mm. you know, because I think we, we turned, we turned the fortunes around to a certain degree and certainly financially we did. We, you know, they were, they were starting to, to have a bit of money in the bank, etc. You know, we were getting good crowds coming in. Uh, one or two players were were were, uh, were leaving for you know for money and this that, and the other. So, we, so that respect, you know, we were. I think we were um, operating 
fairly sensibly, really, on the financial side of it. Um, so everything was going well, and then we obviously we were getting to, you know, going to the, the right ends of the table as well. But um, when it did happen, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll refrain to tell you what it, what it actually did happen. One day you'll you'll find out. But um, it did disappoint me really that the um, the way that that um, that Brian was was given the job. I look forward to the book. <laughs> Won't be long. <laughs> MK Dons um, were next, and I don't really have much to ask about MK Dons other than like when you take over, it's still fresh. You know the whole uh, franchise element of it, moving away from from the Wimbledon sides that we all grew up watching. Um, throughout, you know, you would have played against them all the time back in the day. Did you have any sort of doubts about taking that job given that they were at the time and you know a lot of people still feel this way but it's certainly simmered over the years but at the time you know nobody wanted to go near them really well uh, yeah at the time I mean I was one of them as well you know I didn't really understand what was going on you know between them and and, um, Wimbledon obviously but uh, as soon as I went down and and spoke things over um, I understood understood it a little bit more but um, when meeting Pete Winkleman um, the owner, uh, chairman, whatever you like to call him, you know, benefactor. Um, it was him and just him himself. His enthusiasm was absolutely magnificent for Milton Keynes uh, Football Club, but also Milton Keynes itself. He was a proper cheerleader. And uh, he, he just told me about all the things that he's going to, to do to the football club. We were playing at a hockey stadium at the time, which was absolute crap. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and no atmosphere whatsoever, things like that. But he said, don't worry, I said, in two years' time, I'm going to have this. We're like, That's I thought it was just a pipe dream. You know, I said, well, let's just try and, and do what's in front of our nose at the moment. And that's to stay in the league. And, and we fortunately did. Um, and, and then from then on, he just started to grow and grow. And, and you see the stadium they've got now and the infrastructure they've got in place, that football club, you know, and all your best arguments in the world, you know, about why and how they, they separated from Wimbledon. Uh, I'll still be there for people who were who the fans, but what he's done there is, is, is enormous. He's done an absolute magnificent job. And, and the thing is, he, he followed through everything that he said he was going to do. So I take my hat off to him. Yeah. Hartlepool was the next port of call for you, and it very much is like that, isn't it? But um, Hartlepool in the 2000s were a bit of a nuisance club, and they were very, very impressive and punching above their weight. Of course, you broke their hearts with Bristol City in the playoffs, didn't you? When um, Christian Roberts um, did those late, late moments at Ashton Gate, which, you know, I'm told about all the time. And then they find themselves in League Two, but then you sort that out for them. It's, it's one of those stories from the era which probably doesn't get enough credit about how Hartlepool had players that stuck around but really could have played at a higher level and you couldn't have had a budget you're in a region where there are really two teams and you you, you kept on you I mean it just seems now obviously that they fell into non-league and came back it just seems so impressive that they did what they did before they did dip out in modern times they were a proper pain in the bum club well they were and you know I think you look back at a lot of football clubs that are still alive and kicking if you like in the league and and, and you wonder sometimes how they how they can, can continue because of, you know the, the the crowds are small blah 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 but the um 
the faithful, the Hallapool faithful, you know, the, the fans were absolutely magnificent. They, they were really, really dedicated to the club. Um, tough fans to play in front of when things aren't going well, really tough, because they're right on top of you all the time. But when things were starting to tick over and, and, and do well and we managed to get promotion that year, they were absolutely magnificent. And and I think the players as well, you know, they, they can see it's a, it, it really means so much to them, you know, the football club in that area. Um, you know, people will say, you know, you know, we're going to Hartlepool for. And again, it's another thing. Again, it's it's the football. You know, it's it's a, a passion that they that they they have up there. They've got this real, real great belief. You know, in 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 the team that they support, and and they just go and support them. I mean, there's, there's the population. I would suggest that I don't know how many lives up there now, but I bet there's a third of the population will go to the games when they can. You know, and a quarter of it, which is a lot of a lot of people, but. Um, I think just overall, from from that point of view, it was it was an eye opener. Um, but the facilities that they had there were fantastic. How they survived was obviously from um, the input from IOR, Independent Oil Recovery, which is a company that that owned um, that owned Hartlepool, and uh, and they just put money every year. They knew they were going to lose money as a football club, but they were supported by. There you are. And I think from that point of view, you've got to tip your hat that they're still there, but because of them that they were. Yeah. No, they've sold it on now and they, they you know they got back into the league again. But um, those early days you've got to you've got to really congratulate Iowa for the for the way that they, they kept the club going. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was actually quite surprised they even came back into the football league. When they dipped out, I didn't think we would see them again. So it's a, yeah. an achievement there. But I bet you couldn't believe your luck when you got Andy Monkhouse because he just joined Swindon. He was doing all right. I mean, fans didn't take to him too much, but I thought he was decent. And then Sturrock came in and I bet you couldn't believe your luck to take him. Well, we couldn't, no. And I, I've seen Andy before, you know, I knew what he was capable of. You know, a lot of people got a little bit uh, mixed up with with what type of player he was because he, he was so tall. You know, they think he could be a good target man. He could this, that and the other, but he had more strength to his ball than that. You know, and uh, he, he, you know, he's get his, he get his goals from the back post as as you'd expect him to do, but he, he did contribute a lot of of our creative play as well. You know, and uh, very good footballer, great left foot on him, um, and he could get a goal for you. So you know, he, he fitted into into what type of team that we had at that time, and uh, he had a, he had a terrific couple of seasons with us. Carry on the ball. He's got Ward with him. Timing of the pass is crucial. A touch and shoot. Yes. You bet, you bet, 2-0 Swindon. Danny Ward. Let's get to Swindon then. So we're an hour in and of course we're only getting to Swindon now. So that's typical me there with my management of time. But only a couple of times in your management career do you come in during the season. I think you do it with MK Dons. The rest, you have the luxury of coming in at the summer and being able to review Swindon have just, well, they haven't just, they let Morris Malpass go a month or so before. Um, a few names had emerged. I remember John Ward being mentioned. I think Colin Calderwood was a shoe in at one point. Um, even the late Gary Speed was, was mentioned. I think we just couldn't get him out of his contract at Sheffield United, but it took ages. David Byrne, Budgie, was uh, looking after the club for a month. And then on, on Boxing Day, it was announced that Danny Wilson was in charge. And i got to be honest, I was absolutely elated. Like I said, I, I'm a fan. Um, but where do you come in in this? Was it a quick appointment as far as you were concerned? Or was there quite a bit of negotiating? No, it was very quick. 
Um, very, very quick. You know, I got a phone call maybe a couple of weeks after, um, maybe a week after, sorry, after I left Hartlepool um, to see whether or not I go in. You know, I'd be interested in Swindon. Um, I think at the time it will have been um, Andrew Fitton, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Andrew had um, I got on the phone and said he just noticed that I'd left. And I think from then, they just pursued it straight away. You know, and I knew they had one or two other people that was in there because I was looking still from Hartlepool's manager's point of view, looking who was going to get the job. So um, then I go, and then within a week or so, I, I got a call to to see if I'd meet up with them, uh, which I did. Uh, I drove down and and I, I met up with, with the board uh, and certainly with um, with Andrew. And uh, we got on very well from, from the first minute. Uh, and that's when I took the job and then he asked me if I'd you know, go to the game, I think it was a day later, two days later, uh, down at Peterborough, which I did. Um, we got a draw, I think it was then. I think it was a draw. Yep. 2-2. Um, and then I took over um, the week after. Well, the, 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 the 2-2 happens, but it's that's a good month before you take over. It's Leighton Orient is the game that you go to. Yeah. And then, and then, so is there like that in between, or no, not at all. It was just it, it, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it was two two. It happened. It's just yeah. it, it, it's a month before before um before you you take over take over. I think. Um, well, no, I think I, I'm not too sure if you're right there. I think it was um, the second game was my first game, which which was after the Peterborough game. Who was that? Warsaw. Yeah, well, so I think we got beat, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, two one. I'm, sure, I'm, sure I'm sure it was that way. I mean, listen, I, it's a long time ago. You could be absolutely spot on, but I felt it was straight away. They went to the game, saw the game two two, and then took over versus straight away. What's it like firefighting? Because Swindon was spiralling at that point. Got some good players. We got Simon Cox. You know, Simon Cox got a hat trick against you at Hartlepool in the season. You come back from. Three goals bloody down. I was at that game. Um, what was it like? How quick do you have to be? Do you have to be quite reactionary? You have to look at players because, you know, transfer windows and so forth. You can't just ditch people. You've got to stick with the squad that you've got. It didn't. We didn't have the worst team in the world. And we weren't, you know, I didn't think, I don't think we would have went down, but we were certainly threatening ourselves with it. But how, what is it like coming in and going, right, this is what we got to do because you're known throughout your career not to have the same assistant all the way through. You've always rotated your coaching staff, so to speak. What what goes through your head during that time? Well, I think first and foremost, when you go into a club, I think you, your preparations essentially. You've got to, if you've got rigid ideas, I think you're going to have a, more problems than you want. And I, and I say that simply because of the type of play that you've got that you don't really know what they are. So if you're going in and asking somebody to do something that never in a million years going to be able to do, you're going to be wasting your time. You're going to waste a lot of time doing something that doesn't doesn't need it doesn't need work on. Why, why work on something that doesn't need work on? So I used to watch a lot, you know, I'd, I'd listen a lot in, in the shop. I'd digest a lot when we're going on at the club. And the top players, you know, they, you've got to be proactive with them, but you know, you've got to be asking questions, questions. But more importantly, I think you've got to you've got to listen. And um, you, you don't want to preempt any answers. You, you just get a you just get a picture of a, the mood around the club, mm. and, uh, and and the personalities that are there. I mean, you, the ones that's involved in the team. You know, you you, you find out who are the most 
you know, forceful in their opinions and, you know, who are these, who do these players respond to in the group? And I think once you start to learn that, you get a better feeling, but you get, you're able to help the players more at times without giving them something new to, to come round and, and try and change something that really doesn't need changing. You know, I think you've just got to make sure you, you know what's going on within the group and the club itself as well. You know, I think that's, that's uh, again, it's, it's very, very important. You know, and um, just get, started to give, you know, players more freedom with the decision-making, you know, and the better players will do that, you know, instantaneously, but, you know, freedom to make decisions for themselves. They don't have to be, you know, barked at every two minutes to do this, that and the other, you know, and uh, you do that on, on match day, uh, sorry, on uh, uh, training days, you know, so when you go out, you've got to trust them. And I think that's the biggest one. If you, if a player can feel that they're trusted, you've got a, you've got a better chance of them coming to a way that, that you want them to play than not. Yeah, yeah, sure. In the transfer market, you're quite busy in that January. And I mean, it's I think it's one of the key things that new managers can bring. They, they either contacts or their ability to negotiate because you make some key signings, um, Gordon Greer, of course, and then Hal Robson-Karnu and Owen Tudor-Jones, um, all key members of the reason why relegation doesn't happen, essentially. And we also... I really wanted Hamdi Razak to work out. That was a shame. But um, and also Jean Fran- uh, Jean Francois came in, who you took with you to Sheffield United later. Um, how how do you notice? It? I mean, is that is that a contact? The scout says you got to look at this player because he was quite mysterious. That we didn't know much when he came in, and even when he left, you know, he had a season with Sheffield United and then disappeared. Um, yeah. How does how does that sort of scouting network work? Um. Well, it's, it's, it's people that you trust. You're, you're talking to people all the time, you know, you, and it won't be the first time that you've you've received some good information from somebody that's worked out. So you, you, you go and talk to them again. I mean, you have to bear in mind when you're at clubs at the level that we're playing at at, the, at that time, you know, you've not got this massive big organisation of scouts going out watching everybody and everybody. You have to, you know, pick up your contacts and your friends and your mates and just have you seen anybody there? Can you see it? Can you recommend to a left back or cost me nothing? I can only give you three quid a week. You know, where is it? And somebody will come back with something and you've just got to try them out and just go and, and look at these players and just see whether or not, you know, they, they are what these people say. And if they do, you know, come to the to the plate, then you'll trust their judgment as as you go along in in, in your career. And uh, and that's all I've done, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, with Les, with, with Jean-Francois, um, he was one as well. I mean, we looked at him, a left footer. He could play left back, left centre half, terrific left foot, strong, aggressive, a bit silly at times, a bit a bit, a bit too um, aggressive for his own good at times, but a fantastic boy, a, a brilliant boy off the pitch. You know, he, he would go through a brick wall for you. Um, and he was, he was very unfortunate. He had, uh, he had a lot of injuries and, and going to Sheffield United again, I think he finished with an injury there which was really disappointing because he started off really, really well up there. Um, so, yeah, that's a, I think that's the type of thing that we do. We just, you call on some of your contacts and some of your mates and some of the scouts, you know, and, and just ask them questions about people. The summer, so we stay up and <laughs> the, the, the feeling is very, very good. And the fit and era really... It, it, well, that that whole consortium—it's—it's it's an exciting time to be a Swindon Town fan, and that summer, you know, you bring in Greer on a permanent, you bring in David Lucas, Alan O'Brien, who you know we all 
people who follow football known about through his Newcastle uh, career, Jonathan Bloody Douglas, which I was blown away by when he signed. Yeah. And then the tie-in with Celtic. I mean, that says to me from the outside that you were significantly backed. I mean, that, that has to be the case, doesn't it? Oh, of course we were. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I, so I said, we, we hit, uh, Andrew and I hit it off straight away. Um, I, I loved his, his honesty. The one thing about it is what he does, he never backed away from what he said. He, if, he, if he said something, he'd stick by it. I remember going to the playoffs, I'm sure you're going to come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said even well before that, you know, he just wanted us to get up there and get try and get into the top six. And he says, and everything, anything else after that is a bonus. Well, you can imagine when you get to that area, you want to win every game. Of course you do. Um, but he never put any pressure on anybody to go and get promotion once they got into the playoffs. And I, I, I felt that was absolutely brilliant. He never never spoke about it, never put any pressure on the players or me uh, to say, listen, now we're here, we've got to go and do it. We've got to go and do it. We knew we wanted to go and do it. We didn't have to be told that. But he never actually said it. And, um, and I, I took my hat to it for that. You know, he, uh, he backed up what he said in the first place, that he wanted to get to the playoffs, get the team going in the right direction, get support from the fans, you know, really get behind the team. And we achieved that. And uh, so he's... he's his job in his eyes had been done, you know, but um, but we had another step to go and uh, we just, we unfortunately, fell at the last hurdle. But, um, yeah, if we're going with, with Andrew, he, he supported us all the way. And he knew that to get to that that little place that he wanted to get to, particularly after the season before, where they just stayed up, <clears throat> he knew that the, there had to be changes in the team, you know, and um, and that's what he did. He, 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 let, us, he let us get on with things. You know, one or two players had left the club as well were, Simon, yeah. Maybe one or two and lifted their eyebrows a little bit at one or two, but it, it had to be done. Yeah. yeah. What was your part in the Charlie Austin transfer? Well, again, it was, again, this is, you know, with Andrew as well. Andrew was, was brilliant at it, you know, and uh, he, I think it was his, I think it might have been his father, his, his, I know it might have been his grandfather that he knew, um, Andrew knew, and he kept telling him about this, this lad who was playing, you know, his, his grandson, I think it was, he was playing for uh, Pool Town at the time. And uh, we, were, we wanted a striker. We were desperate for a striker. We hadn't got a striker, really. And uh, lots of names kept coming up. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to know, blah, blah, blah. And Andrew got a little bit, um, not going to say frustrated, really, because I think he wanted somebody to come in. I said, whoever comes in will be the right man. We've just got to be, you know, just hold, hold your nerve, be patient, and, and somebody will come. Anyway, he kept, he kept talking about this lad. And anyway, so I went down to watch Pool Town on a couple of occasions. And uh, I think he, I watched two games, I think it was. He scored in one of them, missed, missed quite a few chances, didn't score in the other game. But what, what was the thing I liked about him more than anything, Charlie at the time, was he was always in the area where he could score goals. He, he was always in, in around the box, in a six-yard box. Something that with the ball came in the box, he could have hit him in the the bollocks, if you like, and, and go in. But it makes sure he was in an area where he could, um, he could do it. And he was, a, he was a tough, he was a tough lad as well, you know. And when he was a bricklayer at the time uh, for his dad, I think his dad had a, I think his dad had um, a, a, a construction company houses, I think it was, or something mm. like that. And I think he was a bricklayer. He loved a pint, you know, which lads will do after work and things like that. Um, but he didn't phase me at all. And I went down. I thought, we just let's take a chance on him. So Andrew said, Are you sure? I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's take a chance on him. And uh, I don't know how much we paid if Andrew would better tell you that. I think it was about 25 grand or, th- or 30 grand, something like that. You know, and uh, 
and, and we brought him in, and he was a, he was a hit since you know the, since the day he walked in. Yeah, an incredible season, and a yeah. bit with Swindon. What's it like managing a young Simon Ferry? <laughs> Funny, <laughs> Simon was was absolutely full of beans. Um, he had a, he had a, an enormous amount of, of skill, as, as people will know. Um, couldn't tackle a hot dinner at times, <laughs> but we didn't want him to do that. You know, we just wanted him to get on the ball and 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 again, it's like I said before, just give him the. You know the understanding; he can make his own decisions when he gets on the pitch. You know, and and, and be positive and, and try and create something. And Simon did that. He was he was a breath of fresh air. Honestly, he came down, he, he lifted, and, and lit up the dressing room from the first day he came in. Uh, great character, one of one of those type of lads you need in a in a dressing room. If people are feeling a bit down, you know, you just throw Simon in, and it, and it brightens everyone up. And that's what he was. He he gave everybody a lift. He gave me a big lift because I enjoyed coaching him because he made me laugh. I think one of the reasons I loved this season at the time, of course, looking back, very fond of it, and it was it, it's a playoff season, so of course, the positives outweigh the negatives quite significantly, other than the the punch of the gut of the not going up. But what I really loved about the season is something that happens in League One these days over the last 10, 15 years is you get some really big hitters down there. And Swindon never seemed to be the sort of team that would beat the big hitters. You know, I think we got Sheffield Wednesday um, a couple of times, but, you know, we would play them, give them too much respect and their bigger way following. Just they always squeeze past. Leeds always beat us. You know, your Leicester's Wolves later, you know, we would always struggle. But this year, this season, you know, we didn't win every single one, but Leeds United 3-0 away, beating Southampton, beating Charlton in the playoffs. <laughs> just, I mean, I, I, I'm going to refrain from how on earth didn't we go up, but I've answered the question. It's because there's teams like bloody Leeds in League One, you know, it's, yeah. it's tough. But the yeah. fact that we were not afraid of these sides was just so refreshing at the time. Well, it was, and I think, you know, the quality of the player that we had at that time as well, you know, had the experience, you know, to go toe-to-toe with, with, with some of the big the big clubs and, and the big players in them clubs. You know, it didn't it didn't face, you know, a lot of the players that um, that were out there that were playing. You know, I think, like, Billy Payne had a, had a fantastic season, you know, in, in, in goals-wise. Charlie, you know, he, he was never phased by anything. You know, that, that, that was one of the great things from his point of view. And then you had, um, you had the Leeds lads. You had Danny, Danny Ward came in, and a young Danny Ward as well, who did really, really well for us. You know, so I think there was lots of players that that were in there were were just not phased by the teams, whoever they were, and and that rubbed off on the the ones that perhaps thought they weren't, you know, they weren't supposed to be able to compete at this level with this team, and uh, they they got them to believe that they could, and not only could they compete against them, they could beat them, and and that's how we went through. We didn't really have any fear. We knew that. If we played our football like we know we could play it, we'd be a match for anybody, you know. And we had that quality as well to to win games as well, you know. At uh, certain times of games, so we pull a bit of magic out, you know, or stick a, a brilliant, a, a great ball in, or whatever it may be, you know. It's um, we had we had those type of players. The win at Leeds takes us to second with about seven games to go. And I got to be honest, I think I after that game, and we win the next game three nil too. And I think I was at home to Tramier, and I think I think we're up at that stage. It was it a case of we just we, we ran out of path. What what happened in those final games? 
Well, I mean, was it nerves? I, I don't know if it was nerves or not, but not winning. I think we um, we we drew the last three games, I think, something like that, or in, in good positions as well. Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't really answer the question because it, 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 some things hit teams like that and you just can't put your finger on it, so why? But um, maybe we're a bit nervous. Maybe we thought that, you know, we could be in. If we could win this game, we're, we're promoting them. And you don't win that game, then it's on the next one. If you're in this next one, we're, we're promoting them. And you don't win that, then the nerves set in. And, uh, and if you don't win the last game, then you're in the playoffs. And, and I think that's how it was. I think we we tried to take just the one game, you know, in, in front of our front of our noses and not really worry what was on the other side of it. But I'm sure that there was a lot of nerves at that time. And I think that affected us in how we played. And a lot of excitement with the fans as well. I think, you know, they can see just exactly what we're seeing as well, you know, win that game and you and you possibly up. And uh and it gets a little bit nervy out there at times. I've had Billy Painter on on the podcast, absolutely lovely guy, and he gave us great insight. At what point do you think it was apparent to you that he wasn't going to be around? And do you think that had an impact on the final stages of the season? Um, well, we didn't really know exactly, you know, but uh, we had a fair idea that because he'd done so well, you know, against Leeds on the two occasions, uh, that he'd been tapped up, um, his agent had yeah, let something out of the bag, I think it was, and it started to creep around everywhere. So I do think that I do think that was a that was a um, how can I say it? Not the reason why we didn't go, but I think you know that Billy maybe from his from his own point of view, although he was still he still scored a goal, like you know, in, towards the end of the season, I still think that, that that Billy had his mind elsewhere at times. But you can't knock him in that respect. You know, he was looking after himself. He was looking after you know his family, etc. And, and at the end of it, you know, he still he still he scored twice against um, Brentford yep. um, at the end of the season, um, and he scored he scored just before that as well. In, in I think he scored three in two games in the last two games. So you know his commitment was there from our point of view, um, but I'm sure his mind was wandering, you know, wandering around him at the least thing. Yeah, not something that you, <laughs> that would be rare in your career as a manager, I'm sure. No. Um, the playoffs are quite iconic, really. That semi-final, the first game is brilliant. I always I look at our attendances that that year, and they seem quite low given what we were being treated to. Um, really on the pitch. I don't know if that's me being unfair to Swindon fans, but we're getting eight thousand, seven thousand. We're getting that now in League Two. Um, the Charlton game, the first the first leg, we should be out of sight. You know, a bit of an error. We concede. It's, it's great watching back. It's that floodlit summer evening, packed county grounds. There's nothing else like it for people like me, is there? So that was brilliant. But everyone talks about that second leg and rightly so. And I'm really excited by, by hearing your insight because I've heard the fans talk about it. I've heard penalty takers. I've heard, I've, I've had Simon Ferry explain what he was thinking, scoring that own goal. Um, from your stance as a manager, what was that game like for you? Um, well, like everybody really talking about it as well. It was just, it was so emotional. It was up and down like that. You say, you know, the, I think, did, is that the one that Gordon Gray got sent off? It certainly is. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. I can remember that as well. And 3-2 uh, down uh, and then getting to 3-3, three, three, obviously, and, and then winning on penalties. Um, I can remember, not, I can't remember a lot, of, a lot of things about the game itself, but I remember um, I remember Stephen, Bale, uh, Stephen Darby scoring the yeah. winning goal 
from a penalty spot, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, I can remember Stephen getting that goal and, he, and, and and me thinking that couldn't happen to a nicer lad. He, he was one of the stars of 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 the loan system that I'd ever had. In fairness, I, I spoke to Kenny Dalglish, who I know fairly well, and uh, and I said, Kenny, I'm I'm desperate for a right back. Have you got anything? The kids at Liverpool, and uh, and Kenny said, I've got just the one for you. And he says, and uh, and if it was one of my daughters going out there, let him marry her. <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's a good testament, really. He said he must be that good a lad, and he was absolutely magnificent. Um, unfortunately, he's not very well at the moment, Stephen. He's uh, right. he's, he's fighting a, a disease, which which I'm hoping that he he wins. But um, but Stephen was fantastic, yeah, and, and I think it was um, Bailey had missed one for them. That's right, midfield player Bailey, uh, and then obviously uh, Stephen went up and, and won it. Uh, but it, but for the lads themselves, it was it was absolutely brilliant. You know, going, getting them getting to Wembley, you know, it was it was a dream come true for them all. But I just felt sorry for Gordon. Gordon Green was going to miss the final, and uh, I think I think Johnny Douglas took the captain's armband for the day. Uh, but I felt gutty for Gordon because Gordon in that team at Wembley, I, I really think they would have won it with him in the team. Yeah, what was he thinking? I don't know. It's just a bit of red mist, wasn't it? Yeah. A red mist that comes sometimes you can't account for. I, I don't really know. You know, he's uh, and I don't really think he does. Just got caught up in the moment. You know, he, I mean, Gordon. You know, he, he he could have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a tantrum now and again. Because he's Scottish, isn't he? That's just be right. And uh, but he was a he was a he was a great lad. He, he was a great signing from my point of view as well. And and when he left the club and went on to to Brighton, I think he was. Um, had, a, had a, another few great years there as well as a footballer and he, he just saw how good a footballer he was I just really gutted for him on that day that he wasn't able to to take his place in the team Yeah, the, the, the next month or so is a real crossroads moment for Swindon Town of course, straight away we, we lose to Millwall it's, it's a close result but Millwall deserved it on the day and I do agree if Greer's captain in that side it could have been a completely different um, outcome, of course, Austin scores that one-on-one. I think that would have rattled Millwall having lost the previous year. Yeah. It just wasn't to be, was it? And we, we, we can go over it over and over it again, but it was just one of those games at Wembley. And out of the new era Wembley losses that we've had, for which there have been three, I think that's the one that really sort of like the, the big missed opportunity. I, I, I knew we would lose against Preston. Chesterfield was the Papa John's trophy or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter, but that one was the moment. And I guess this leads on to Gordon Greer because Gordon Greer is magnificent from pretty much day one at Swindon. He gives us that, you know, he gives us that commanding presence at the back. He's a leader, even, you know, gives us that moment with that equaliser against Norwich. And I think at the end of the season, you know, as fans, we're thinking about, well, if we keep this person, this person, we're losing Billy, we keep Gordon, we keep Charlie, we'll be all right. And Greer goes, and there's a lot of Swindon fans, and I don't think I disagree, that say that is a real turning point in in our modern history. Was it just a case that his head was turned and he wanted to go to Brighton, or was it out of our hands? How did that happen? Uh, nothing really. I mean, when he's when you go to you know clubs, as as I said before about Billy Painter, you know, going to Leeds, and you know when when you get the opportunity to go and play a league higher in particular, and then, you know, the possibility of, of new stadiums coming in, et cetera, et cetera. It was difficult to say, to tell him, you know, to turn it down and whatever we'd offered him, you know, he was never going to 
you know, we, we couldn't match what the um, the offers were being made for by, from Brighton. You know, so disappointing to lose him, but fully understandable. Yeah. The following season doesn't go to plan, does it? And it's it's something that it felt like we had so many of the key components and we bring in experience like David Prutton. We bring in Paul Caddis, who's so highly thought of at Celtic. Um, Thomas DeSevi comes in. He kind of comes in late in on that trial, but impresses and he, and he, and, and he signed up. I've talked to a lot of people about this season. I've talked to players that were on the fringe, players that were in the first team, and they have their opinions about what went wrong in this season. And one of the one of the the biggest areas which people tend to agree on is the fact that it went from a unified dressing room to cliques, or you know, it was sort of fractured. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Yeah, I think the um, you know one or two characters in that dressing room. Um, with players that how can I say that they weren't buying into what was already there, but was, wasn't buying into the the the, the type of um, how can I say environment that I, I felt we built, you know, that last season, and uh, and it took a long time for for people to come on board on that one. And one one or two didn't come on, you know. I, I don't think one or two could come on, you know, because the demands were very high. We had we had we had high we had high. Um, uh, standards to to maintain, you know, I think, and what you've got to do is you've got to keep pushing forward. You can't you can't step backwards, otherwise you'll never get it back again. And I think that was one of the biggest problems. Yeah, and we just don't get going, do we? Um, no. And I don't. It feels like you know, it's cliche, but you say hangover. But it's just incredible what happens when you lose a centre forwards goals. You know, it's the same happened to us when Mooney left. We went from a playoff side comfortably, a playoff side to a mid-table because you take away 20 goals and it makes so much difference. And we just, we don't get our luck with our forwards that year, do we? Well, we certainly don't, do we? You know, not, not whatsoever. I think, you know, we lose, as you say, we, we lost Simon Cox as well uh, before that. Um, and then you lose you lose your, your top scorer with 20 plus goals, you know, league goals. You know, and it's, um, it's all right saying, well, there's other players out there, but, it's getting them again, you know, and and having to work with with strikers again to get that end product that you've been getting on a regular basis through through um, through Billy, you know, and uh, so I think in lots of things like that, it was it was very very difficult, um, and we were certainly at that time we were we were very much um, uh, goal shy, uh, and that's that itself you can see in the results, you know, we, we didn't score many goals whatsoever, and if we did, you know, it weren't the strikers really it was coming from all over the pitch really. How hard is it, is it to manage that you know, on a day by day? It's, it's difficult, you know. You you try and put in place, you know, um, or replicate things that you think you're going to be faced with on the day of the game, you know. And you try and replicate that during the week, whether it be you know team partner or team player, opposition partner or player. Certainly with your with your strikers, you're working on there and putting balls into areas where you want them to be. In. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But on the day, you're, you're virtually helpless. You know, you're, you're hoping that you know that um, repetition that you do, you know, on a daily basis in training, will just come naturally when you go on the pitch. Unfortunately, it doesn't do that. You know, some players, you know, Charlie will still do it because Charlie, that's what he does. Charlie Austin will just go in the box as he normally would. You know, but you need more than that. And um, and I think in that respect, we didn't we didn't do that on a, on a regular basis 
by any stretch. And, and the goals four count, as you, as you can see, the good horse uh, column four uh, was was um, quite shy. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard not to observe that when Austin goes, it, we fall off a cliff, don't we, in terms of goals? <laughs> we have that game against Charlton where we beat them 4-2 at the start of the year. And, yeah. you know, at that point, some of the players were citing, you know, playoffs were still the goal. And it's a bit of a false dawn. And we just we just do not we do not replace Charlie at all. And, and I mean that's that's something that you know Charlie's been on this podcast and he's he's highlighted that was a regret. But from your side of things, again, if their heads are turned, there's just absolutely nothing you can do. Yeah, nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing you can, you know, you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's just like saying to somebody, you know what, you're not going. And he just says, well, down tools. You know, I'll not play anyway. So you're not going to get me anyway because I'm not going to be bothered me ass. Not that he would do that, but I'm, but I'm saying, but you have, you have that problem that if you're going to refuse somebody to, to go for somewhere, you've either got to compensate them with a big on another contract, you know, or you've got to understand that his wishes are going to be granted, you know, and then you just hope you can get a, a, a correct price for him and hopefully go out and buy a replacement. We didn't do that. I think I bet we didn't score a dozen goals after that in in all the games we played. Um, with uh, when when Charlie left, so you know the the gap was big enough when Billy left, and another twenty goals as well. You know, forty goals have gone out of your team. You know, and it's uh, you just can't wear that magic wand and bring somebody in. You know, you just you just can't get all the people. Yeah, I think in your tenure, I think we only scored about six or seven goals after after that. It really is insane. Was was Elliot yeah. Bennion your guy? Was he one of your? Was he someone that was like not force upon you? But was he was he someone that you identified, or was that an? Ad- Who's that? Sorry, Elliot Bennion. Well, I knew I knew about Bennion. Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't. Um, I don't think it was it was mine. I think we'd identified him before, mm. um, but couldn't do anything about it. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Uh, would I think it was behind after me. If it wasn't for after me, it was only for a very, very short space very of time. Very short time, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Is there anyone from your Swindon time where we had a player that you thought he's going to go on to bigger, bigger things and he, he didn't? Because you had some real successes, like Matt Ritchie, for goodness sake. We only even mentioned him, but his early days was under you, and we had we had plenty of great players. Was there anyone that you thought this guy's going to go all the way and just didn't quite make it? Um, I didn't quite make it. Uh, there's, there's quite a few. I mean, we, we had what I, what I was pleased about really as well, and not just the players that we signed, but we signed a lot of good young players, you know, either by on loan or, or were, you know, became permanent deals. I mean, little Danny Ward, who's, who's now still banging the goals in now at the moment. Um, I liked him, I liked him a great deal, and Danny. Um, Nathan Thompson, another one. Um, he played for Little Spell, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, a bit long time. Um, yeah. And we had Rob Alton, Hal Robson Canoe for a little spell as well. He, he was young and he was he was up and coming at that time. He's gone on to do great things. Um, you know, so we, we give young lads a chance. I, I thought it was I thought we had some very good young lads. I mean, Sean Morrison was only seventeen when he was playing in the first team, mm. seventeen, eighteen, something like that, if I can remember right. You know, so yeah, we you know there's there's a lot of lads there that's gone on to do pretty well. Maybe not, you know, blown the Premier League out of the water, but you know, Matt Ritchie possibly is is one of them who's who's played at the highest level for a long period of time, and uh, and again another one we we got for little money but made a lot of money on him, you know. But it's um, but over over the over the period of time, there's there's not really a great 
deal of, of players that um, they just fell by the wayside. You know, they, they, there was quite a, a lot of older players there as well at the time. If and, and then just from their point of view, they uh, they retired or you know or went on. They, they had the the, uh, the games at the top level and, and they were just find their way down the ladder. Then it's very easy for someone to look back at this season, look at the sort of the against column, like you yeah. mentioned, and just think, well, of course he had to go. My head wasn't there at the time. I Maybe I was blinded by the fact that I was a fan of yours. Maybe it was because of what you achieved with Swindon the previous season, but I was still adamant. And a bit of me still thinks this, that we would have stayed up had you been allowed to stick around. Do you believe that would have been the case? Um, it's a six million dollar question, isn't it? I think, I think if you look at that and you say, if we could have got a striker in, yes. If we could have got somebody in who, who knew where the back of the net was on a regular basis, then I would say yes. But once you get into free fall like you do, um, it's difficult to turn it around with the, with the players that are, all, are there. You need you need that you need that spark to give it to the rest of the players as well. You know, mm. so um, that would be a weird. A double-sided coin answer, really. Yeah. You know, it's uh, that I have to give you. Rose deliver on this occasion. Oh, it's a wonderful header, and Swindon have the lead. Thanks to Sean Morrison. Flash blood is red blood in the West Country derby. After Swindon, you keep going for for six more years, three more clubs, um, Sheffield United, Barnsley again, and then you finish up with, with Chesterfield, another one of your former clubs. And it's very rare that I get to talk to somebody, you know, that pretty much was in continual employment from the 70s to the 2010s, late all the way through. I can't think of an era really to be a professional in an industry where so much has changed. It, it must be incredible to experience. Um, it is, and uh, that, but that's the beauty of football. I mean, when you when you're working with young um, elite athletes, if you like, at times, you know, and not just that, but they they, they have fantastic uh, personalities in lots of cases and sense of humour. It keeps you young, but but you are changing every day. Every day, there's something that that's put in front of you, whether it be a joke, whether it be a problem, whether it be something that's going on off the pitch. You know, and there's never a day goes past when something has happened that's not happened to you before. And it, it really keeps you on your toes. You, you keep alive with it. It keeps you, it keeps you sharp. Um, but yes, it, it's ever-changing, you know, and, uh, and not just with the players themselves, but also with the, the dynamic of, the, of the, the game, you know, worldwide. You know, so, so yes, you've, be, you've got to be up with it. You've got to be ready for it. And you've got to be able to adapt to things. And I think that's the biggest challenge that managers do have. You managed a thousand games, in, you know, in, in professional football, which is incredibly difficult, especially when you're not in Europe and stuff like that. You know, it's it's, it's an insane amount of, of games to have managed. How difficult is it, like you said, to evolve and to go through the interview process when, you know, managers are getting younger, they're, they're getting different ideas. How, how do you stay in the game during that time? You have to adapt yourself. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be alert. You've got to be understanding of what's going on around you, um, and you've got to you've got to evolve with the game as it, as it as it does. You know, you can't you can't stand still. That's one thing that, that I did learn. You know, that uh, you had to learn that very quickly as well. 
but also, you know, it's not just, don't forget my, my career is, is not just about being a manager. It's, uh, it's about the staff that I've had as well. Mm-hmm. And, and throughout, you know, my career, I've always had brilliant um, assistants or coaches or whatever it may be. You know, and even some of the younger ones that's come on and done really well, like Paul Heckebottom now at, at, um, at uh, Sheffield United, who was one of my young lads at, uh, many years ago at Burnsley. But, so, you know, you, they, they've come in with their own ideas now. And, you know, and I don't think football itself is, as, as, a, as 11 v 11 has changed that much. Maybe, you know, the, the training's changed and the science of, the, of it has changed completely. Um, but you know, there's there's no there's no formations that's not been tried many many years ago. There's you know they they don't play all of a sudden with you know with it with a, a a system that's that's just completely foreign to everybody. You know, there's everyone's been played. So you, you know, there's only certain things that like that that can change. But the the players themselves that's available, particularly at the top top level, you know, at the elite level. Um, where you can go out and get the best players in the world coming to England now. That's and that itself will help the rest of the football pyramid. You know the uh, the skill and the uh, and, and and the way that they approach the game and the science of the of the game. That's certainly going to rub off on on players around them and certainly pay people at other football clubs as well to try and replicate what what a club have got. And, yeah. and that's going to be good for football. But you have to make sure that yourself you're ready for that change. You know you, you can't take you by surprise or you can't be resistant to it you know you've got to make sure that you're you're understanding enough to to be able to change with it it's five years since you you last managed yet you're still 25 to 1 on most bookmakers lists <laughs> um for the lower leagues Are you ever tempted to go back in no no i think um I've, I've had my time i can't um i can't knock my time it's been it's been very eventful that's for sure it's been it's been fantastic uh, in in most cases um, so I think you know it gives somebody else a chance, a younger one, further down the line, you know, to to cut his teeth like I did had to do, um, you know, at whatever level it is. But um, but not in the moment in time. I've got I'm a very very pro granddad at the moment, and I've been for the last three and a half years. I've been a fantastic for our first grandchild, and we've got another on the way in the next two weeks. So um, actually, we my wife and I will be throwing ourselves into that again, which we find absolutely magnificent. So really, I'm, I'm very much occupied. Lovely stuff. Good to hear. And finally, I always like to end on a, on a Swindon note, hopefully a positive one. What are the standout memories of your time at Swindon? Well, I think you've covered a couple of them. You know, you know when you can beat the, the likes of Leeds home and away 3-0, you know, and uh, Southampton as well, you know, and uh, when, when they're potentially, you know, Premier League clubs, if you like. Uh, and then, the, you know, Getting to Wembley was obviously fantastic, but I mean, obviously the the downside to that is not is not winning that game. But um, you know, they're they're the standout ones uh, from that. You know, getting to Wembley and and seeing the fans, you know, in the semis and in the final coming out in the numbers like they did. Um, no, that the the memories that you you you'll never forget. Absolutely. Well, you've been stupendously generous with your time. I really really appreciate it, Danny. Danny Wilson, thank you very much. You're welcome. No problem at all. The Low Strangers is an independent podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 